Hi everyone, my name is Steve Tudor and welcome to the Friday Show. It's the show that loves to love, but my baby just loves to dance. On today's part, we're asking, what does it mean to be a Blue? To support a club that, to put it mildly, has been on quite a journey in recent years. A club that used to be generally quite liked, but is now quite unpopular. A club that used to be rubbish, but is now the best in the land in all the world. Thinking about it, those two things may be related. To discuss this, I'm delighted to be joined by two outstanding Berts. They were so committed to the cause, they didn't even bother go to York away because there was an under-18s derby that afternoon against United. It's Howard and Chris. Hi, Howard, you well? Uh, yeah, fine, thanks. It's Friday. Summer's arrived in... A sunny Friday, yes, indeed. Summer's arrived in England, yeah. <laughs> for a limited period only, so... Well, I mean, it doesn't affect the three of us, but, I mean, for all the kids with some holidays coming up, this is perfect timing. Yeah, so. I'm already praying for rain, so... <laughs> Chris, are you uh, enjoying the weather? Yeah, I'm loving the weather. I'm, I'm try- I've am i had a really busy week. I'm trying to engineer it that I can do absolutely nothing over the weekend apart God. from sit in the garden. Yeah, drink some wine, enjoy the sunshine. So, yeah. I'm nice. Good. I've, I've, I've treated myself to the most niche product today. For you've, It's kind of your fault, Steve. You've got me thinking back fandom about growing up supporting City. Yeah. So I've bought something from my childhood. Rather than writing with a pencil from now on, I bought a left-handed fountain pen. So, <laughs> right, you've mentioned this before, Howard. What, a, what like, a niche product uh, after a, t- a tough week. I thought I'd treat I, myself to a... It's not I don't believe it exists, because of course they do. You're telling me they exist. But how does it differ from a right-handed fountain pen? <laughs> uh, it's the angle, really, that you hold... I mean, if you hold the pen as a right-handed person, you don't just... The nib doesn't go straight down. It's not quite symmetrical, it's the angle. But as right. a kid, the reason you needed one wasn't the pen itself, it was the ink. Mm. Because right. you used to smudge everything you wrote as you went left to right. So Well, I think I guess I'm, if you wrote Hebrew or Arabic you'd need similar special ink because your 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 little finger just smudges everything as you go along, so yeah. but anyway, I thought it was a It'd be nice to have a fountain pen again and go back to my childhood and proper ink and stuff like that. So. It was a fountain pen in a childhood. Why not your Lord Snooty? Really? We had to use a fountain no, pen. Yeah. Well, actually, you yeah, well, yeah, we did for a while. Like, and the benefits of blotting paper. Mm. Um, and it, but um, what's going on? Yeah, I, no, yeah. yeah. And ga- Gra- but grammar the, school, the, the, though, Steve. Oh, don't, yeah. don't, don't feel just a grammar school thing. No, I wasn't at grammar school. I, I, I was at a comp, and so it was just... But it soon sort of faded out, really. But uh, but the thing I'm concerned about, we're going to lose half our listeners by yes. talking about fountain pens. So sorry about that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, yeah well, it's just, yeah, going back to the childhood, as we will, Joey. Yeah. Some, of, some of this podcast, anyway. So. <laughs> very quickly, I mentioned this on the pod before, but just a reminder to all you left-handed people out there, uh, the word sinister derives from sinistra, which is Italian for left, because back in the day, they believed that anyone who was left-handed was untrustworthy, shall we say. Right, let's move on. <laughs> I, I edit this show, remember, so... Oh, yeah, damn it. Okay, let's look at City, and as you alluded to there, uh, Howard, our, our childhoods, let's start there. It's, a, it's the most uh, obvious starting point. Um, I've said many times in the pod before, I'll, very, I'll go first very quickly. Grew up in North Wales, 
me and my brother in a, like a high school, a normal high school, you know, not something out of the Beano with fucking blotting paper and all the rest of it. Um, <laughs> uh, me and my brother were the only City fans in the whole school. Um, became a blue because of my granddad and used to go home and away when I was from 12 onwards, maybe. Um, and yeah, just United fans and Liverpool fans and loads of Everton around here being in North Wales. So I just felt kind of a, a little bit wouldn't say unique, but certainly unusual, really, if you encountered a City fan around here, then it kind of, it was a memorable experience back in the day. Um, Chris, how does it differ from your experiences growing up? So thinking about this, it actually made me realise that, that this year I've been, I've been supporting City with real intent since, for, for, for 40 years. So it's my yeah. 40th anniversary of support. So it was, um, um, I, I mean, I, I, it was at a time when you could go to both United and City games, and we used to do that quite a lot. Uh, you know, just alternate because it was like fifty pence. You could just walk up, and you know, so it was a decision Chris, you to, made. Uh, were you, did you grow up in Manchester? So I beg your pardon. Yeah, I grew up in Manchester. I grew up in Burnage. Right. Um, okay. So yeah, so the the land of the Gallagher's, and um, <laughs> yeah, and and so so we could go back and forth. But it was uh, my my family were always leaning towards the the blue side, and it was the um, FA Cup final replay against Spurs in eighty one that really cemented mm, my following. Yeah. And I've mentioned I've mentioned this before. I think that that it's like it's it's really ironic, but also poetic that 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 I became a dyed in the wool blue after losing a final. Um, yeah. But it, but it was just I don't know. It, it was it, and it was an interesting time as well because I went to a school in Burnish. It was a comp in Burnish, and I was very privileged. That because it was very, it was a very diverse range of. It was an all boys school, so uh, football wasn't always particularly the most sort of the, the, the dominant sport. There was a lot of lads uh, of South Asian heritage, and so there was there was a lot of cricket. And at that time, actually, I, I was quite into boxing as well. Like the middleweight division was quite interesting division at that time. But I started to move on to football during during that period and started to go to main road. Uh, we used to go to reserve games uh, as well, but it was. Quite an even mix as well. Um, there wasn't it wasn't really the the sort of era of, of replica tops then. You know, this didn't really exist. But but there was probably an even mix in the school of, of, of red and blues. But I, th- I think it was always destined to be a blue because my dad was a blue, and it kind of you know it, it sort of always was going to go in that direction. I think. Was it free to get in when you went to the reserve games? Yeah, it was free to get in. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I just, I just always remember it was, it was just always cold and and and, and wet and windy. But um, <laughs> yeah, but but it was, but again, it was just, it was, it was the accessibility, not just the reserve games, but also to to the first team games, was just so much. You could just make a decision literally thirty minutes before. Mm. Cause I lived about a fifteen minute walk away from Main Road, cross Platfields, and. You know, and you just made a decision, of course, and then, and then you walked into the Kipax and you couldn't see anything because I was because I was small. I, I only ever saw the, the pitch. I only ever saw the pitch when we scored a goal because everyone jumped up and down. So you know, it, so it was. Uh, but it was all. It was. It was a great experience, and I've got a lot of fond memories of being a kid at, 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 at Main Road. I mean, the thing is, what we're talking about today is kind of how things have changed being a City fan. But I guess a lot of it will be how things have changed being a football fan. Um, and this will kind of, you know, directly uh, kind of um, be associated with, with other clubs as well. Because um, so much has changed from going to the game when I was a kid to today. It's just chalk and cheese. Um, and, and that's a perfect example that you said there. You know, you could just decide on the day. Um, there were times when I was a kid where I'd wake up and... You know, my mum would have a little smirk on her face. I said, what's up? And, oh, you know, Mike, my old brother, he's, he's taking you to 
wherever we were playing that day, if we were away at wherever. Um, you know, you're off to Leicester today. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> and it was just decided on the day. It wasn't a case of how the hell are we going to get uh, an away yeah. ticket. Um, Howard, what about your experiences growing up? Uh, well, first, the the admission that my dad's a United fan. So. Yeah, we'll see here, yeah. Yeah, get that out of the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I grew up in Whitefield. So I, he, the type of football fan my dad is is just unrecognisable from most football fans today. Mm. And he was just the norm in those days in that he was just a football fan. He would say that, yeah, before I was born, you know, 60s or whatever, he was nothing weird about going to see City if they were the home team. You know, at home in Manchester that weekend and going to watch United the week after, even if you did support just one of the two, which yeah. you always would do. So growing up, he, he would take me to Bury, which was the nearest ground, City and United. Now, I am very suspicious of people who know, can remember when they're four or five years old, the life decisions they made <laughs> in absolute clarity. I think they're lying. <laughs> uh, as for why... Uh, yeah, and my dad did push me. So obviously many dads will say, you're a United fan, it goes through the family. Our family's 50-50 anyway, I think, red-blue. You know, if you go through cousins and aunties and uncles and all that. But my dad wasn't that sort of person to push me to support United. And to be perfectly honest, I just don't think he's quite as obsessed with football as I am. I mean, even growing up, I remember I would be checking out United games that he wasn't even listening to or watching on the telly. So he, you know, he was just a, a casual football fan, and I made my own decision. Why I made that decision, I can't tell you. So I guess it's the feel. I mean, it's, we're talking about the same period as Chris here. I can't give mm. you detailed memories about the eighty-one final, but I'm guessing that had some sway over me as well. But I, I don't think I've ever been even that age. Can you say that? It's easier to say go for the underdog. So if I go and watch Berry City United, well, United weren't sweeping all before them then, but there was probably still then a feeling that they're the biggest club. Yeah. So maybe I don't know. It suits my psyche that I pl- plucked the middle one, but I, f- I think once you go to the grounds, you you just have a feel for a club. Well, how one about of those the area? feels right, and I like blue, so you know. <laughs> what, what about the area? I would um, like Whitefield because I'm not really familiar with kind of Bury or Manchester. Was that a particularly United area or a City area? And, and what about kind of your mates at school? Were they more City United? Was that any influence? It wasn't football. No, I don't. I'm not sure to be honest, but I don't think it was. It's not one of those areas that's you know dominant for United right. or I guess there weren't many dominant City <laughs> areas in that you know nearer to the ground perhaps. But no, I don't. I, I don't remember there being a huge dominance of uh, one club over the other and school wasn't uh, yeah I said there was a lot a lot of sports done at school I, that f- football wasn't like to me the overriding discussion or thing that people talked about people into all sorts of sports rugby cricket and United were dominant uh, yeah there were more United fans for sure but mm. even when City were rubbish you still get that, you know, there's still tons of City fans as well. So it's weird. I think the the key is it was just easier being a fan in those days mm. because I think we're going to get to it. I feel like being a City fan now is kind of a job. <laughs> well, it is. 
in, in many aspects to us. Yeah. But yeah. what what was football now? So, yeah, City. It wasn't. Yeah, City after obviously eighty three were often a very terrible side, and it really. I was one of those who had an absolute sulk every time City lost for two days. My yeah, for God, day. you must have been big. Yeah. <laughs> so I did take it as personally as I do now. But yeah. at the end of the day, it was easy then because you got the football pink. You went home and watched telly or went out and that was it. It was done until the next game. Yeah. That was what football is. So I don't remember this huge. There was no, the tribalism just wasn't as huge in those days. There was no like mocking in school playgrounds because City lost. It just didn't feel that way. To, uh, I'm sure there were uh, some I, places, I but that, yeah. it didn't feel that way to me. It wasn't in a small school with a small playground where, you know, uh, it just felt a lot more easy to, to just support whoever you wanted to support in those days. It wasn't yeah. a competition I, to be a glory. There was no glory hunting. It didn't feel like it in those days. I think it, 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 it was, I don't know, it's interesting because particularly during the 80s when City started to become, you know, very erratic, United still were full of this sense of destiny about, you know, that they're going to regain the title at some point. So there was always this sort of superiority that was projected by United fans that I knew. I think I think what was, what was, I agree with Howard that it was easier in terms of, I guess, sort of information streams and the way, and the sort of whole dialogue, the whole discourse around football. But there was a period of time, and it coincided with me uh, going to university in the late 80s, where I st- I'd stopped going to matches because the environment became pretty wretched for, for a lot of football fans. The facilities, not just at Main Road, but generally across many grounds that I went to, was just awful. The, the level of hooliganism was, was increasing at that point as well, which had coincided with... Um, with the English teams banned from from Europe, so so there was a period of time, probably from about eighty eight to ninety, where I did switch off quite a bit from football and started to focus. I suppose a lot on boxing, and you know it was just, it was a strange period of time. So so there has been quite a shift with that, and it was really sort of Italia ninety World Cup that kind of refocused me a bit again on football. So I think I think it's kind of. I do have fond memories, but there's also some memories that are not as fond then from that period of growing up as a teenager going to football games. Yeah, it wasn't a nice um, environment back then. I mean, that's funny enough what I kind of buzzed off, really, for want of a better expression. And and I was talking to a friend of mine recently about this, actually, how incredibly naive I was. Because, you know, you go places like one of the worst experiences I ever saw was down at Tottenham where, you know, someone Mm. kicked a bin over outside the ground and all the Tottenham lot came piling out and it it was nasty. And I was right in the centre of it, you know, but it was just, it was like limbs, basically, like a cartoon Mm. where you just saw arms and legs all around me. And I just felt perfectly safe because I was, what, 13? Well, of course I wasn't safe, you know. It's perfectly capable for, you know, a bloke to hit a 13-year-old in the face. And yet I just thought, I'm a child, you know, no one's going to touch me. So, um, but it wasn't pleasant back then at all. Yeah, I mean, the toilet facilities alone at Main Road were disgusting. Yeah. Let's be honest. You know, if you needed a number two, oh boy. <laughs> oh, you just, you just, yeah. It wasn't. I mean, it was interesting because you sort of, it was, it was a kind of 
it was you didn't celebrate it, but like you know, you walked into the Kipax and it smelled of piss, and yeah. and it's you know, and and like people would just piss on the on on the start on, on 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 you know on the terraces, and when you scored, you sort of you, it was limbs everywhere. So it's you know, it's this sort of that 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 sort of goes you know, it it, it you look back and you think yeah, well that that that's just how it was. It was a health and safety. Um, night, <laughs> yes, you know, nightmare, you know, but but it's kind of you know, it's it's part of the legacy, isn't it? You know, it's well, that's the thing. I, I wrote an article um, a while ago about the Kipax, and I asked everyone to contribute. You know, put it up on Twitter, and I went on the forums, etc. And loads of people got some lovely responses, and so many of them evoked the smells. So many of yeah. them, you know, the bitter farts and all the rest of it, yeah. uh, and and yeah. we have thought back quite very fondly. Um, Howard, what was your kind of principal motivations in supporting City? I know not, not the actual reason that you began supporting City. I mean, what drove you to kind of enjoy, for want of a better word, being a City fan? Because let's face it, there's a lot of people who support United or Liverpool or what have you because they've seen them on telly, they've seen them lift trophies. Oh, I'll have a bit of that. And what then drives them on is we're going to win the league this year or we're going to do win the Champions League this year. That was never a consideration for us, was it? So was it just that vain hope of one day lifting an FA Cup? Can you just remind me of the gig lane? Toilets, sorry. If I was work. American, I'd be in therapy after going to those toilets. <laughs> God knows what state they're in right now. <laughs> uh, well, quite, yeah. yeah. Look, as I said before, I can't I can't tell you why I became a city yeah. fan ultimately. But the underlying thing is if you're going to go to football ground regularly is that you just love the sport. And that was that's my memory. It's just as soon as I understood what football was, I absolutely nothing else kind of mattered in the world. You know, it's my overriding passion that I'll always have throughout my whole life. Uh the other thing is hope. That's what Yes, that's what puts the Rochdale, Rochdale yeah. fan goes into the ground every August and renews the season ticket every single season. Yeah, it's because look, if I'd known what was coming, <laughs> would I? I wouldn't. Have, I probably wouldn't have gone to the ground, would I? If I'd known what the next twenty five, thirty years were hold were told, mm. I probably wouldn't. But of course, you don't know what's happening. You always think that the there's brighter times around the corner. That's what propels the vast majority of football fans to keep going, along with the fact that, at the end of the day, it's just a wonderful place to be inside a football ground most of the time, watching your team. Mm. It's a beautiful communal experience, and we're all <laughs> passionate about the sport. Yeah, but as I, I said, that. thankfully, as fans, you can't see into the future because sometimes it's best that you, you don't know what's coming. Yeah. The, the kind of... Is there anything to add to that, Chris, or is it the same with you? Where I certainly kind of struck a chord with me, where it was the hope more than anything which kept me going, and 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 that hope became addictive as well. And that and that yeah. in city in city were like the worst drug dealers because they would feed <laughs> us this hope. Do you know what I mean? It's it's so so, so they, they they gave us these polar opposite experiences, didn't they? Relegation, then a promotion, then a relegation, then then. Uh, another pr- promotion so it's almost like we were being fed that hope and then having it taken away and there was also I, re- I remember I don't feel it the same now but I remember particularly during the 90s when City was so erratic and um, 
that I still felt the same thing. Every, just at that second before the ball is kicked off, we kick off, I was full of hope. And I thought, yeah, these players, they were shit last week, but they'll be better this week. And then after then about 30 minutes, you then start to sink back into that sort of familiar feeling. I actually, no, we're just not good enough. But I also something I do recall as well, it was 90, 1998, and I'd, and I'd just come back from watching City get relegated to the old third division against Stoke. So I've been mm. up to the Stoke, Stoke ground. And I came back just thinking, well, that was inevitable. And that's probably the last we've seen of King Kladzi And Royal, you've got a big job on your hands. And I remember turning the TV on and seeing that Arsenal were lifting the Premier League title. And thinking, I will never, ever see my team do that. <laughs> I, me- I remember that thought, really. I will never see my t- That is another level we will never get to. And the truth was, I was okay with that. I, I, all I wanted was my, was was dignity. I always had my pride about my team, and all I wanted was my dignity back about this team. And to be fair, Joe Royal did bring that back for us. So it was just it it, it was it was a strange enjoyment, but it was because every time I went to see them, it, like like Howard says, it's a communal experience that is so rare nowadays. And, and and when it was fun, it was really fun. And when it wasn't fun, it was really not fun. But it but it helped it helped shape my perspective, my wider perspective of football, and my understanding of the game and my appreciation of the game as well. So it's a peculiar time, but I I see huge benefits from it. But yeah, the hope was addictive, and we were fed it. We peddled it throughout the entire decade. Well, that's how all football fans are, aren't they? That's. Uh... Got to sell those quadrants at Old Trafford, as, oh, as yeah. some often joke. Every time United are linked with uh, another two hundred million pound player, but I think I think my aim was to see City at Wembley once in a mm-hmm. cup final. Yeah, yeah. that was. I think that was because my childhood was. I used to be a real full kit. <laughs> I won't say the word. <laughs> a cup final day was a was a huge. Occasion, oh yeah, you, you know, all morning you watch be watching the telly all morning, BBC all morning, and the teams arriving and <laughs> having the breakfast before they set off. Mm. And again, the tribalism wasn't there. I'd have my full city kit on, watching I don't know Liverpool against Everton or something, Coventry. And there was a point I doubt there was a list of teams that had reached at least an FA Cup semi final more recently than City, and the mm. list was pretty much half the teams in England. I mean, Chesterfield were on there. So <laughs> it got to the point that, that that was my aim, was just to see my team at Wembley in a cup final. It was my life aim, I think, at some point. Because as Chris said, winning the league, no, it's just... I've ho- I had that hope that we were turning a corner to be better, but I'd never thought that was really leading to a, actually winning the league. Well, that's why I think sparked the 93 kind of pitch invasion against Spurs because, of course, it was off-field kind of um, disruptions, which, which was the reason behind it. Um, but we really thought that was our year, didn't we? Uh, we really thought we could actually reach a cup final. Uh, and then to have that taken away from us, it was like that hope that you've mentioned there, how it, it was just... We've been deprived of that hope one too many times, or we've been deprived of that drug, as you call it, Chris, one yeah. too many times. Um, and... West Ham as well. Whoa, that was a that was a horrible one. That one, that oh, no. really key striker Samaras is out injured. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Blackburn. You know, yeah. He just as soon as we got a sniff of success, it was like 
whipped away I, from us. I really thought that was for Jürgen Stiavis. Um, okay, well, let's kind of turn full circle, really, and, and look at the takeover and the immediate kind of um, months after that. Um, I, well, let's just say the first year. I mean, Chris, it, was, it took some getting used to. Obviously, on this podcast, we've looked back at the takeover on numerous occasions and we've talked about what an incredible, transformative time that was. But just from you personally as a fan, how much adaptation was required um, to get used to suddenly City buying very good players? It was, it was an interesting transition for me because it took me a while to truly believe it. And by, by believing it, I think it, what I meant by that is could City as an institution cope with it? So th- mm. there was this idea that something different may could happen when Shinawatra took over and, and Ericsson came in. And for the first half of that season, I started to think, this, this is really interesting. We're, we're, we're looking really good and we've got some really quality players. And then the second half was inevitable. Second half of the season, it was uh, inevitable City finishing with an 8-1 loss at, at, at Middlesbrough. And then when the current owners came in, again, I, I, I was sort of waiting for it all to fall to pieces, really, because I just, because to be fair, the transfer policy, we brought in great players, but it was a little bit scattergun, the transfer. It was just like, let, let's try and co- collect some great players. Yeah. So th- th- throughout all that, I'm thinking, all right, I'd, I'd, like, to see, I'd like to see a little bit more f- kind of framework here. Um, and, 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 and because we, I still don't think we, we weren't being taken seriously. You know, we bought Rubinho and I went to that game um, uh, against Chelsea and we took the lead with his free kit, but inevitably we, we lost as well. But the point at which I really then started to respond and thinking this is for real now is when we bought Tevez. Because for me, that's when everything really changed because it wasn't just buying a player of that quality. It was a player of that quality wanted to come to the club. Despite what his personal kind of, you know, grievances was against United, he wanted to come to the club. And when and then when Mancini took over, I just thought, okay, now I'm starting to see a plan. Now I'm starting to see it coming together, starting to see a strategy of why we're bringing in certain players and how, and how they're being played as well. So it did take me some time. And I'm glad it did because, although, you know, it, it's, I needed that period of transition to go from City being a bit of a running joke to suddenly being taken seriously and being yeah. considered one of the elite in, in the Premier League. Um. How would, in the first few seasons, really, the, the obsession, for want of a better word, was to, to get top four, wasn't it? You know, everyone knew that if we got Champions League football, then we could attract an even better calibre of player uh, and we would kind of take that next step into the elite. Once that happened, and we're suddenly watching City, you know, and I know in that, that first season it all went kind of tits up against Bayern with Tevez, etc. But just looking at, at their first couple of years in the Champions League, we're a very different club all of a sudden, aren't we? Um, you're still a match goer. You're going every week. You know, there's your your pattern, your kind of routine has not changed from two years earlier or you know four or five years earlier. How was it different, kind of, you know, emotionally for you as a fan? Uh, I think it's 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 crept up. I mean, it's it's basically it was a gradual process. Yeah. I mean, let's not forget, no one knew we were being taken over when we woke up on the day of the takeover. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it was just like that day is just goes down in history. You know, it's like, what's just happened? And I don't even remember how I felt the week. You know, it's just like going into the unknown, the excitement. It's like, we're going to just go to buy everyone. 
<laughs> we're just going to buy all the best players. I did, and it just felt surreal. But as Chris said, slowly, 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 your psyche changes, your mentality changes. And I do think the Ericsson season did help in a way because we'd already had, it was all smoke Definitely. and mirrors. Yes. And, yeah, we didn't know that at the time. It slowly dawned on us by the end of the season. But that season had given us a glimpse that this team with some investment was a different beast to what, to the just, you know, the sh- often the shambles that, you know, with the, uh, gallant losers that we'd supported a lot through many periods of the previous decades. So I don't, there's not, there is, I think I agree with Chris, it's signings that change your sight. That's when you know that somehow the club you are following is now different and, and trophies, probably though. won't be the same again. Uh, the trophies change a, a, a good point. Well, again, of- that's why the, I mean, the semi-final against United is crucial. Mm-hmm. turning it around against QPR is crucial but even then since that day against QPR I think the the, the fans have had to go on a different journey for a, a different yeah to, to st- well, still partly old school fans not quite aware of just how you know where we fitted in the football world even when we won that title and now here we are years later where we absolutely know <laughs> how important we are in the world of football. So there's some fat young fans that have never known anything different. Uh but the old school fans, I guess, are just in a way relaxed about it. <laughs> I'm not. I'm never relaxed about football <laughs> ever. But, you know, after everything you've seen, I think it's I think you just sit back and go, well, we are a different beast now. It's a different world. I might not like it all, but I'm getting experiences I never dreamed I would see. So never even dreamt about some of these experiences, never mind actually experienced them. So there's a bit of the, the psyche can never change in some long, you know, long-term city supporters. But I think there just has to be acceptance that we're living in a different world now with a different team that is almost a completely different beast to the one we used to support. Um, Chris, when we won our first FA Cup, I mean, uh, uh, you know, 93-20 speaks for itself. That's just, uh, you know, in any circumstance. If that happened this year after City's won numerous league trophies, it would still be an unbelievable experience. Um, But specifically that first FA Cup, it was, to neutrals, just an FA Cup. It was an ordinary FA Cup final, a 1-0 win against Stoke. Um, nothing spectacular happened in that final, but obviously to us, we've won a trophy for the first time in our lifetime, mm. essentially. Mm. How does that feel to you? But also, in addition to that, can you remember, because I certainly can remember this, can you remember friends and, and family and you know Liverpool fans, etc., being really happy for us? Mm. Yeah, it's it's a really good point that because we were still, we were still the sort of poorer relative by that point, and yeah. you know, and while and whilst I think for Liverpool fans they were probably more enamoured by the fact we'd knocked United out in the semi final, and I think what's critical is I so I went to the FA Cup final against Stoke, and it was it was just. It was fantastic. It was such an assembly of joy in the stands, but I did go into that stadium thinking we will win this. The, 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 this cup is ours, which is why I still think that the semi-final against United was the what for me was the bigger game. 
It, it, at the end of the semi-final, I cried. I wasn't there. I was watching it um, at a friend's house. But I cried because thinking, we've done it. We, we have got past that beast that, that we call United. Uh, and, uh, and and it was so it was so important, but I think I think when yeah when we won the FA Cup it was it, it was just joyous but it also cemented the belief that actually we we are on the right path now. Um, and there was something interesting as well about you know when we won the title in two thousand and twelve that was really important, but possibly even more important was the was the narrative of that game because I'm sure that secured a whole new generation of fans, not just in this country, but globally, that the, the drama of the way we won that with the Aguero's goal really will have extended our global reach and status. So kind of all those things combined sort of added. And to do the FA Cup one season and the, the league the following season was great. You know, it was just, it felt like, right, progress, what's next? That's what, you know, that's when my confidence really started to, to build. And, you know, I really started to, to believe even more. Of course, when... Beat Stoke though at full time that meant you ripped that banner down at Old Trafford, which yeah, for me yeah. felt like a uh, a pivotal moment. Basically, I know the United yeah. game is the bigger game in a way, but no, the full time at Stoke is probably really the key moment in our history that we won a trophy. It's back to zero that that counter, and to show how far we've come is that you know I just wanted to win the occasional derby growing up. That was mm. your aspirations, and now we'll get to the point where United, some seasons, might not actually be our main rivals. So, for mm. you know, for silverware, so that's how far we've come. But I still think the full time at Stoke is pivotal in a way because everything flows from there. Well, what flowed from there was obviously further success and further league titles. Um, if we fast forward a couple of years, let's get, you know, let's say around about the 2014 season, around about then. Um, I'll ask you first, Chris, um, can I ask first, so you, you don't live in the Manchester area uh, right now? No, no, no. I, I mean, I, w- I work here, but I, I live in Lincolnshire. Right. So around Lincolnshire then, because I mean, with mm. Howard, you know, I will ask you as well, Howard, but it will be a different kind of answer, I guess, obviously being in Manchester. But So within Lincolnshire... Um, at 2014 mm. kind of time, did you start to notice more City fans? Did you start to notice more people talk about City? How, how kind of had, you know, the attitude of neutrals changed towards the club around that period? Definitely, because um, obviously I was coaching football then, so mm. I think I think my team were like under 13s by that point. I was seeing uh, an, an increased number of uh, kids, male and female, uh, girls and boys, wearing City shirts. Um, and that 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 thirteen fourteen season, obviously that was the, that was the one we won the title with Pellegrini, yeah. um, and we you know and just just a really attractive team at that time, really, a really exciting team. And Lincolnshire, it's a, it's a wide, it's a big county, but round out where I am, there's a lot of Liverpool fans, right. um, and, and so but but it was just you know what what I saw was a younger generation of fans who were picking their team. And which is a common thing that that's that's why United had so many fans during that nineties of two thousand period because new football fans were picking their team. So I saw young lads picking young lads and girls picking their team. So yeah, I, I did see um, uh, an increase, and I think um, in terms of the way 
you know, in terms of the way other fans and other teams would regard City, at that point, they were starting to see that this was a genuine thing. It, it was a genuine model that, yeah. that, that, that was moving forward. And for Liverpool fans, they were thinking, right, this is no longer about us trying to draw level with United and Chelsea is about trying to draw level with, 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 with these guys. You know, and, and obviously there was always a suspicion from people that I'd not met before, like, oh, are you, so you're a new fan. So like, I never had to explain myself. I'll just leave that little d- uh, dilemma with them if they need to work out whether I'm a new fan <laughs> or, or an old fan. You know, it was entirely up to them. So, yeah, I started to see that shift. And, and, and it's a commercial shift more than anything because that's what City are about. They're, they're not just about improving the team, but they're about improving the brand and getting that brand to be a global brand to, to secure sustainability over the next t- 10 to 20 years. Yeah. Well, how does that differ in Manchester then, How Because obviously in Manchester, there was, before the takeover, you know, a, a huge, significant number of City fans. Um, did anything change when City became successful in terms of, you know, how prominent City were, I guess, in the city? Honestly, I used to, like, occasionally just, you know, count shirts. Uh, I'm not sure shirts on adults really matters walking down your high street. I don't think it really tells anything, right. tells you anything. Look, I mean, it's obvious that the, the answer lies. Manchester, whatever City United are doing, there'll be loads of City fans and loads of United fans. Yeah. Don't let anyone ever tell you differently. You're just talking about the percentages now. But it was always the case that if City becomes successful, then you're going to have to see... You're not going to see the true benefits or visual differences for about 15 years because it starts with the kids. And it, yeah. start, mm-hmm. it starts with yeah. kids picking the team and it starts with kids after a few years of City success thinking, I want to be a City fan. And like going against bloodlines, going against the father and saying, no, I, I like City. And it could be one player that can do that. The Sergio Aguero can can convert 100,000 kids to City, yeah, to support City. Yeah. And I think for yeah, if you... Take away the white noise of all the criticism City get and human rights and their ownership model and buying success. I think City are an ultra cool club for a kid to start supporting. Mm. When you think mm. of the players and Pep and look, blue kits are the best. Let's be <laughs> can, can I just say? The stadium's um, not falling apart like Old Trafford. I, I think it, it's an obvious choice for kids right now, but you're still going to have to... You know, what's happening in Manchester? Look, we're still both... There'll always be millions and millions and millions and millions of United fans, but City are obviously ma- making up the difference at some rate. And those kids soon will be adults that are spending the money, and their kids will be City fans because they want because it'd be an easy choice to make if City are still dominant. So you, you're waiting a generation really to see it truly come to roost. What City success show will show in shirts, but I yeah. I used to go play badminton and wouldn't put. It's the only time I ever wear a football shirt is to play sports. I don't wear them out. I don't go to matches in them. I wouldn't wear one if City had had a terrible result the weekend. But I just wear them a lot more now. So, and you just you see a lot of other people wearing them as well. When mm. it did it used to be quite rare for many years. Yeah, I mean, as regards to kind of bringing fans, young fans, over to, to the to the good side, and. <laughs> um, Sergio Aguero's haircut, by the way, has never been mentioned, and it really needs to be mentioned because my wife's a barber, 
and the amount of kids who have come in over the last few years and said, can I have a Sergio Aguero? Now, they are only aware of Sergio Aguero from Match of a Day or from Match Magazine or whatever it may be, you know. They just see a cool-looking footballer and they want to look like that cool-looking footballer. I mean, he, in terms of PR and bringing new fans over to the club, Sergio Aguero, it's not just for his goal scoring. And I'm really not being frivolous when I say that as well. So many kids want to look like Sergio Aguero and get that haircut. And then when he changes it, they want to change it. So, um, mm. And that's what brings over a lot of young kids to supporting clubs these days. As depressing as that is, it's a haircut. Um, mm-hmm. I will say as well that I play five-side football every Friday. I'll be playing tonight. The pitch is taken over at the end of the game by, you know, a training uh, game with, with kids, you know, and we're talking, I don't know, five, six, seven-year-olds. So they're obviously, as we're finishing off, they're waiting to come on the pitch. Um, I would say out of like the 20 kids, there's always three or four in a city shirt. That is unimaginable 20 years ago. Unimaginable. You know, I live in Wales, and yet nearly a quarter of them are wearing city shirts. So... It's a huge difference these days. It's a different ball game altogether. Um, what about the the younger blues? Then what about these these well, kind of newer fans in every way? Um, how do they? Maybe not the kids because kids are kids, but certainly kind of um, you know like like people we have on the pods, kind of you know teenagers, kind of early twenties lads who have predominantly pretty much just known City in their present guise. How do they differ, Chris, to ourselves? Are we more embittered, more more levelled out by kind of seeing both sides of the coin, maybe? Um, are, are they spoiled, or are, how are they different? Yeah, I mean, I think they are spoiled, but it's not their fault. That's yeah, all they've yeah. known is, su- is, is success. I mean, my son, who is 19 now... He is horribly intolerant if City lose. <laughs> Honestly, it's I want I want to slap him to say you've no idea. It's like it's kind of like, have you forgotten what we did last season, the season before that, and the season before that? Because I, I I never spout. Look, I was there at Wembley, at Gillingham, blah blah blah. I never spout that. It's more a case of you need to be reasonable. You need you need to understand that football goes in cycles, and you need to understand that what one losing one game may be the springboard to then win the next five. But yeah, he's he's, he's very impatient with it. But again, I, I don't think it is their fault because you know look at where we are now, and and, he, and now we expect the success. I guess what's different be, for the older fan is perspective, really. Um, I'm not saying that we appreciate it any more than the newer fan, but but I think well no maybe, actually no maybe we do because we've had the flip side of that, um, and and I guess that we we're slightly more philosophical about it because we understand that football does go in cycles and there'll be a point at which City will still be a huge club and dominant, but there'll be a point at which we're not winning things on a regular basis and that and that might be because a team is changing a manager changing or another team has come and started to really impose themselves so i think that i think both sets of fans old and new and the ones in between i think we share the success we share the joy of the success um, equally but i think we just bring a slightly more wizened perspective because we we understand we understand the flip side of this. We've been to the polar opposite end of the experience of, of supporting City, but I, I don't blame the young fans because you know it's kind of you know you know why have bread when you can have cake, and that's what they've had for the last ten years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, what about you yourself, Howard? How have you changed them? Have you kind of 
when I say the word spoiled, and when I said it earlier about kind of, you know, the younger City fans today, I don't mean it in a kind of, you know, tantrum kind of way, or, or I just mean, you know, our expectations are higher now. We're used to winning. We're used to winning trophies. Um, has that kind of rubbed off on you too, Howard? Because, I mean, I've got to say, it kind of has with me. Uh, I'll go into games. I mean, I'll, I'll watch my team now play at home to Aston Villa, and I will expect us to win. What is that about? So, is that the same with you? Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's more stressful than ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Actually, it shouldn't be that way. Yeah. I just... That hugely intolerant 19-year-old <laughs> you live with, Chris. I don't, <laughs> I don't think it's just 19-year-olds. It's uh, Yeah, it's 50-year-olds. Exactly. I remember... Mm. We drew two all the way to Fulham or something early in the season. I know we went on to win the league that season. I can't remember which one it was. A good few years ago. It's the first points mm. we dropped. I think we were 2-0 up as well. And the fallout from that early season draw at <laughs> Fulham was just like, oh, I can't do this anymore. It's just... It, but it's the internet and social media. It's not City. It's not City having money. It's a football thing. Society thing. It's like... I'm so, I've so much joy out of this team so don't tell you know, it sounds like I'm going to say something so negative but the ability to, ha- to have your own joy sucked out of you by others because of the internet mm. is astonishing even after England beat Denmark it was just like you know Sterling dived for like you can't even celebrate getting to a final mm. of a, the, Euro- <laughs> the Euros anymore yeah. without going on Twitter and seeing negativity and obviously City win something you'll just see other fans somehow making it to be a negative. So it's never... And now that we talk about it as well, I don't know. There's some days where you want to forget about football, a bad result. You, as I said, you used to be able to do that 30 years ago. You can't anymore unless I learn not to go onto the internet, which is easier said than done. You know, loads of people don't go anywhere near Twitter or whatnot, and I'm sure they find it a lot easier. But, yeah, I, I, often... When it's Derby Day, it's the morning, I'm dreading it. <laughs> and there are the days where I think, you know what? Sometimes I just wish I supported a mid-table team that never did anything whatsoever. Didn't get much media attention and expectations weren't that high. But then I'd have been deprived of so, so much over the past decade. Ooh. That's just a wimp's choice. So, But I do think it's it's never been more stressful if you get involved in the communication online. And that can that could that could include with other city fans, apart from you know just idiots and trolls on the internet. I think it's also I mean like we say what's changed is what's at stake, and and absolutely it's it's much more stressful watching city now. What I find is I'm still working out whether this statement's correct, but I'm going to say it anyway. Watching city now is more rewarding than it's ever been, but I would say it's less fun than it used to be. Yeah. And, and that's not necessarily a negative because it's, there's so much more at stake. You know, I, I forensically analyse every game before, during and after, and it's exhausting. And, 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 and whereas when we were not very good or we had nothing to play for, if you, if you lost a game... You know, by the time I'd walked out of the stadium, I could pretty much get get over it. Saying, "Oh, well, there's always next week, or there'll be a midweek match." And and but now it's kind of each game, even the first game of the season, it feels like it matters. It feels like we have to strike early. But I do think 
what's changed for me and I don't and I'm I'm kind of, I'm, I'm a little bit ashamed of it really but the way I the way I look at other the rest of football has changed a bit because I used to read in, in you know in detail about every other Premier League side and I have a lot more interest in other players and I realize that I do that a lot less now um, you know, I, 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 I don't, you know, I, I don't have the same comprehensive overview of every single player of every single team in the Premier League because I think just because there's so much more being written about City that I just become a little bit more preoccupied. I need to work on that because I don't want to become sort of catatonic and just singularly focused on City, but I do find that I do spend time, my time thinking, when I think of football, I think about City more than anything rather than the wider landscape you know and I want to sort of shift that. and I guess that's that's also shifted in the way you know I used to devour the Sunday broadsheets after the Saturday game mm. I don't do that anymore really you know so kind of our routines and our habits have changed which then match the way that our club has changed and the way our, and the way our club is you know is, is what their plans are and what they're achieving so I can see how I have changed but I don't feel like I'm sport because you know we lost to Chelsea in the Champions League final because we didn't play well enough. I, I, I get, I, you know, I don't have a naive idea. I can, I can unpick why we are losing games. I can unpick why England lost to Italy last Sunday. So I can still retain that. But yeah, it, it, it is much more stressful. That need to succeed is utterly relentless. Because I remember yeah. in those dark, dark 20 minutes when QPR were winning against City... Hmm. I remember sitting there going, if we win today, I'll never ask for anything like, ever, <laughs> yeah. ever again. And come next August, I'm like, we need to win the league again. They say, we need to show, you know. With... And then when we got past Liverpool in that title run, I said, you know, after we lost 3 2 there, it's like, look, if we put turn this around, I'll never, that's it, next free hit next season. And every time the next season starts, now we've got to be winning trophies this season. And it goes on and on. And we've just won the title. But you know what absolute fa- catastrophic failure it would be portrayed as. I've felt by some City fans, if City dare not win the Premier League title next season against really strong opposition. And I do feel, but it's not just City, I do feel across football, there's a lot of supporters who are really not getting much fun out of football. No, I, I think it's a football thing as much as it's, it's, it's particularly acute being City, obviously, because we're challenging the top and our circumstances are different to many other clubs. But I certainly think that what you guys are talking about is a change in football as much as, you know, with one club. Because I remember when City was shit and I remember you'd come home uh, from the game and you would say, you know, your mum or whoever, how'd you get on, love? We lost. And that's it. That's as far as it went. We lost. I mean, on Monday, the United fan fans in, in your class, whatever, would go, ha you lost. And you go, yeah, yeah. And that would be it. That's, but the only consideration was whether you won or whether you lost. It wasn't how did you win or how did you lose mm. and uh, what player was picked and what player was left out and, you know, kind of what mistakes the centre-back did. Always made another gaffe. That is third individual error of 2020 to 21. You know what I mean? There's none of that. It was you won or you lost. So that very much simplified matters. Uh, and, you know, that's when City was shit. We weren't in, in, um, we weren't competing for trophies or anything. So, yeah, I think football has changed a great deal in that regard. For, for good or bad, I don't know. Um, okay, well, just kind of going back to something I've already asked you, Chris, but more 
kind of how City are perceived really these days. So if you say to someone at work, for example, you know, I'm a City fan and they're a Liverpool fan or a Spurs fan or whoever it may be, um, it used to be really quite popular. <laughs> what whatever happened to that? <laughs> so, where I work, I've worked at different places, but wherever I've worked, it's it, I've quickly established that kind of football is a big part of my life, and so there's a kind of there's a sort of authenticity about you know my knowledge of football. But when I so so, so people don't assume I'm one of these sort of you know, new plastic new, new plastic fans, but mm. you know it, it's it, I've worked with um, you know working in Manchester, you you work with City fans, you work with United fans, you work with Stockport County fans, and, and Liverpool and uh, Everton fans as well. And I think that um, I think Liverpool, reasonable Liverpool fans, and they, they do exist, surprisingly enough. But re, but reasonable Liverpool fans can un- understand where the the real threat comes now in the Premier League, and then and they know that whilst United are always hovering, that, that City really are, are, are going to be you know will always be the threat for the title over over the next f- few years, and um, and so in that respect, you know we're we're no longer quite as welcome to the table as we used to be because we're not that running joke. We're not that kind of entertainment to the party anymore. And, and so whether, whether we're liked any less, I mean, I often think for, for, for Liverpool fans, they, they, they liked us because we were the, the local rivals of United and, you know, it's kind yeah. of, you know, uh, the, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And, um, but I don't. I, I think it's one thing. One interesting thing that's changed for me is when City were not good. There's a lot of United fans who I knew who who were remorseless in their gloating. And when I think about the fact that City weren't even close to United, it was simple bullying on a football level. Because, you know, when we were in the Championship or in the bottom half of the Premier League table, you know, why gloat against a a fan of a team who are never going to compete? And that stuck with me. So that compelled me that, that even now I never gloat with United fans or Liverpool fans. And the reason I don't, because then my silence is deafening because they're waiting for it and so so, you know to to, to go back to your original question we're definitely not seen as that kind of friendly face anymore and we're not seen as that kind of plucky underdog anymore that that has definitely shifted the conversation dialogue around the football is, is certainly shifted and I'm glad because you know one of the key objectives of the owners was to move the club as far away as that as that Lafferminic uh, team um, that, that 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 they could, and they've succeeded in that, you know. And and for me, it's kind of that the reference point of where we where we were is now so long ago that it's, it has no relevance anymore. Okay, just a quick digression, but is there anything worse than a casual gloater? You know, I'm not talking Paris. about on your WhatsApp groups with your mates, or you know, or, or people who are close to you, or you kind of have football banter with. Um, but those people who you just see down the pub, the people who acquaintances rather than mates, those gloaters. Oh man, because I never gloat to acquaintances. You know, mm. I just don't. I, I don't gloat on Twitter. I don't gloat, you know, because yeah, it's 
it can quickly turn, can't it? So I, absolutely. But and, and by the same token, is there anything worse than someone saying you know nothing about football, so you shouldn't be gloating? You know what I mean? So that, and that's why I remain silent because because if that person needs to have that to make them happy and make them, and make them feel empowered, then oh, you know what I mean. All right, mate, it's it, you can have it all you want because next week we'll be winning and you'll be quiet again. I think one of the true bonuses of City's success, especially compared to United's uh, utter struggles to replace Alex Ferguson, has been how it's cleansed my Facebook timeline. Uh, yeah. The woodwork is yeah, absolutely uh, rammed with United supporters right now who have bizarrely fallen out of love both with social media and football in general in the last few years. So. <laughs> There's pluses to it, so... Well, but yeah, how- never gloat because it always comes to bite you oh, yeah, on the backside yeah. someday. Yeah. And, and, it's, how- and it's immature. It's for WhatsApp groups. <laughs> so well so I hear, of, anyway. As well as kind of um, the perception of people, you know, kind of friends, work colleagues, or whoever it may be. I mean, certainly the perception from the media has changed over the years, too. Um, how, I mean, we've discussed this many times in the pod, but as a kind of brief overview, how would you kind of sum up? the difference in how City are portrayed now in the media to how we used to be? Big question, I'm sorry, but... Uh, uh, how paranoid do you want me to be? <laughs> Who said they're not, that? They're not portrayed the same because there is this absolute... I honestly believe it's been ingrained... PR campaign narrative that has run for decades and decades that how you achieve success is relevant to how much praise you should get and that somehow how Liverpool and United did it by being successful at a very convenient point in history is a different thing to investment oh. and many journalists openly dislike City, City's model owners and like but like the players probably, and like the football, but have to be reserved in how much credit they give because they think there's an asterisk next to it or caveat. So that's how it's always going to be. I don't support my football team so that I can read glowing opinion pieces in the Telegraph. So I used to care about it, but I'm way past caring now. And it doesn't matter if a journalist bigs us up in a, a column. It, we know oh. we see it. We're all seeing now as fans. We see everything. We can literally create our own opinions of everything. We do not need that guidance. Yeah, Chris, how have you found it? And are you kind of because um, I'm very much with Howard on this? Actually, I, I, I'm letting it go now. I'm get. I'm realizing. I, I try. I fought against it because I tried to change it, or I wanted it to change. I now realise it's not going to change. It's only going to become less of a problem because there's only so many times they can say the same things, basically. Uh, I'm sure that journalists, particularly at The Guardian, I'm sure they're still pitching the ideas, but now they're getting turned down by the editor because the editor said, well, we published this in 2017 or whatever it may be. Um, so it will become less of a consideration, but it's never going to change from my perspective, I don't think. So I'm letting it go. Are you? Yeah, and, and uh, with a heavy heart, I let it go because yeah. I used to, yeah. you know, I used to, I really enjoyed football journalism, and I still do. You know, there's still certain writers I will read, and certain books that I will read. I think Howard mentioned about timing, 
the timing of Liverpool's success, the timing of, of, of United's success. And I think the timing needs to be taken into account for City's success as well. The, 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 the journalistic infrastructure and the, um, the modes of communication for journalists have changed massively. Yeah. And that is definitely uh, influencing and at some points dictating what the, uh, the uh, agenda is. And, and you know, the, the, there is only so many times you can say City play wonderful football. You, there is only so many times you can say City have this kind of global reach now and, and they have this kind of conglomerate of, of, of clubs. But... It's journalism has changed because, you know, if it hasn't, either we've become more paranoid um, or it's always been there. It's always been like this and we've just become wiser to it because they're writing about City more or has journalism actually changed? And I think it has because for many writers, they know that they have to write something that will capture the attention of somebody who's been distracted by a whole multitude of stimulus and you know and 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 so you know so 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 the the shocking headline the the sort of the you know the the compelling narrative to try and paint city in a certain light is there and and as soon as you lose expectation for something or somebody it's it's a really significant shift so you know if you stop expecting someone to to deliver something for you you'll be a good person it's a it's a shift in your moral framework and and i feel that about i mean not all not all journalism not all the media outlets but for the majority now is my expectation of a fair and objective overview which takes into account everything is 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 now close to to zero and 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 I find that sad and I and I you know and I and I and I mourn the passing of that and it's and it's and it's it, it's ruined certain things about my life in, in terms of what I like to read and what I like to absorb uh, as as uh, as a reader and a follower of football. But yeah, it has changed, and I don't think it's paranoid to say so because we could spend days and days giving you evidence. Yes. Of how the narrative towards the club has changed, you know. So people can call me paranoid, but it's like, well, I will show you the evidence and then and then give me a fair assessment of that. I've been tempted to, to do a PowerPoint now for quite some time. I really have. Just hire out a kind of social club, get loads of Liverpool mates down, and just do a PowerPoint show to them and say, right, this is what's happened, by the way. Um, okay, the well, thing let- is, people, you, we've got to separate online communication debate if you can call it debate, with no, face-to-face. Well, to face. An ex- because to an without extent, social... Only to an extent. Yeah. No, no, well, yeah, it's all different to us, who we hang around. The things yeah. I see online, none of my United or Liverpool supporting friends would say to my face. Not because uh, they're cowards, okay. it's just they're playing a character in a way online. I, so. I go to a bad pub, I think. <laughs> I just Whenever we have these discussions, I just come to the conclusion that I really need to change my local pub because the Liverpool <laughs> fans in there are just... They're worse than the people online, frankly. Um, okay, let's end on, end on a positive and let's end on a high. Um, Howard, you go back in time. You encounter the 12-year-old Howard <laughs> and you can basically fill him in on what has been going on with Manchester City and what he can expect from his football support in life. I mean, you know, you've got kind of 30 seconds before your kind of um, image disappears and he won't see you ever again. What do you tell him what's what's happened to City? Oh, no, I would not ruin a single moment by Really? I would just say... I'd use the oldest cliche going and say, keep the faith. Trust me on this one. All will, <laughs> Fair become, enough. all will become clear. 
Goodbye. Oh, you must be tempted to tell him. My God, I would love to tell a 12-year-old me, you will never guess what. But, um, Chris, what would you tell your younger self about what I'm was sorry, the I, I'm exactly the same as Howard. Because okay. as soon as you tell something's <laughs> going to happen, you heighten the expectation. And I would say, stay with it. Stay with them because it will give you so much more than trophies and titles. It will give you it will give you camaraderie with your community. It will give you a shape to your week. It will give you an understanding of life and everything. And 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 but what I would and I wouldn't say if you stay with it, you we're going to get success. I'd say stay with it because you never know. And I look back at my twelve-year-old self. Right, who would have thought? that we would ever have been experiencing this with City now. And it's mm. the hope of that and the joy that's come for that, that, you know, a kid doesn't need to know that Santa doesn't exist until the <laughs> very last moment, right? So give them that hope, give them that what? joy, that expectation. <laughs> oh, Steve, I'm so sorry. I'll talk to you after the podcast. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say a word. I'd just say, stay with it and you'll be a better person for it. Bizarrely, well, the 12-year-old me did see City at Wembley, but it was full members' cup fire. What a game, <laughs> okay. What a game. But yeah. Chris, I think Chris has just, just touched upon the most important point of all that has not been mentioned in this about fandom, is that only 50% of it is about the football. Yeah. Now, I, I went on this message board, which I won't mention, and eventually walked into a pub the Waldorf top room to meet some of the people that I only talked to on the message board for three years. And now many of them are my best friends and yeah. will be for life. And the, all those experiences around the football going down to Wembley are worth double any individual result in a football match. So yes, that's, what fandom, that's what fandom <laughs> gives you. It's given me... It means I can go into a certain pub before a match by myself in Manchester. This is the guy who never goes anywhere, won't go in a pub by himself, and probably know 10 people there. Not because I'm <laughs> the life and soul of the party, but because I'm a City fan. Yeah. And that's what fandom gives you. Well, lads, I completely buy into everything you've just said about going back in time, but you have missed that one crucial part. Um, what I would say to my 12-year-old self is I'm not going to tell you anything about what's to come except for one day, and I won't give you any more details other than this, one day you'll play a team called QPR and you'll be losing. When that second goal goes in, go online and put every single penny you have on a free team <laughs> no, no, You can't play with history, you see. You can't. <laughs> if you watch Family Guy, don't mess with the timeline. Yes. It screws yeah. everything up. So. <laughs> no, Steve, what I would say is, is I'd say at some point you'll play Gillingham in a big match, play QPR in a big match. Never, ever leave the stadium. Yes, absolutely. Do not leave, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, thank you very much, lads. I really enjoyed that. And um, yeah, let's have a sequel sometime because it was really enjoyable. Um, thanks very much, Chris. You're welcome. Pleasure as always. I really enjoyed that. Thanks, Howard. Yeah, that was wonderful. Thanks. Um, and thanks to everyone listening in. Um, that's a wrap for today. We're off to have a whip round for Lino Messi to help with his reduced wages, the poor love. Take care, everyone, and forever up the blues. <laughs>